Hi, I'm Tyler Boss, one of the narrators on the Abide app, a premium ad-free biblical meditation experience. Join the millions of people who download the Abide app to reduce stress, improve sleep, and experience the peace of God every day. You can text the word PEACE to 22433 for a seven-day free trial of Abide. Just text PEACE to 22433, and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24 7 Sports. Powered now, as you know, by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it sounds like Case Keenum heard, witnessed, saw, felt, whatever you want to use, the shot across the bow from John Elway saying he's nothing more than a short-term fix, but he didn't really have an answer for us publicly in that video clip from Troy Rank that broke on Wednesday, basically saying that, look, I'm – I'm right alongside you guys, Broncos country. I was disappointed we didn't make the playoffs. Anyway, what else is new? Uh, not much, but I thought Case Keenum's response was interesting. He was like, when's the draft or whatever? I haven't paid attention. It was very coy, and I'm like, he knows what's going on. I think he knows the end game here, and he knows the Broncos are targeting Drew Locke or a quarterback, and he's just trying to play it off. But uh, uh, not a whole lot. You know, it's We're in that weird content period where there's not a lot going on when Matt Bryan getting released is big news around the NFL. It's just that <laughs> weird transitional period. Yeah, Wednesday was National Signing Day in college football, so that, that made for – college football junkies that made for an interesting day to see where some of the top recruits landed obviously the sec crushed once again but other than that we got some topics we're going to get to today a really a show full of interesting things we're going to dive into but first just really quick make sure you're following the show on twitter at huddle up pod occasionally we're going to take questions from twitter for the mailbag Mostly, henceforth and forever moving on, our mailbag segments are going to be specifically for VIP subscribers at milehighhuddle.com, 24-7 sports. You can always ask us a question on Twitter. I'm not saying don't engage us. We want you to engage us. But as far as the VIP or the mailbag-oriented questions, we're taking them more from the VIPs. We're focusing more on the VIPs getting access to the show. But you can still engage with us on Twitter. You can still participate in our call-outs to help figure out what topics you want us to talk about, dive into each week. So it's crucial if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of the show, you got to follow on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and also take some time wherever you're listening to the show. As always, got to remind you of this each and every episode. Make sure you leave a creative review, rate the show, give us a five-star rating, let us know what you think, give us some feedback, 
We always love hearing what's on your mind as it relates to the show. Very important, though, for us. If you want to do your part, help us grow the show, reach new listeners. That's a good way to do it. All right, so, Zach, we do have a lot to dive into today. There was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal conversation on the Building the Broncos podcast that published on Wednesday with Benjamin Albright that came just a he was just dropping pearls left and right. A lot of new information came out that we're going to talk about here later in the show in just a few minutes. First, though, we're going to resurrect a segment. Now, it was last season, during the regular season, we came up with the donkey segment, right? Each week the idea was we find some, you know, burning hot take across the Internet that relates to your Denver Broncos that is just completely asinine fools type of take that Zach and I just deconstruct. Well, it's been a while since we had a donkey to completely clown. But Zach found one. Zach, <laughs> Zach, you know, he's on Twitter all day long. He's got it, his finger on the pulse. You want to talk about finger on the pulse. Zach is your boy staying on top of everything <laughs> in real time as it relates to the Denver Broncos. And so naturally he came across this pearl. Zach, drop some knowledge on us. Yeah, you could say I'm the freezing cold takes of Broncos Twitter. But, you know, I love Big Al and all. I love 104.3 The Fan. But this take that I saw and Twitter blew up and reacted to is the most off-the-wall, out-of-nowhere ridiculous thing I've seen since Brandon Stokely suggested the Broncos trade Von Miller. This tweet, and I quote, says, I would go for Sean Mannion. He's been stuck in the backup role there with the Rams. I would bring him in, treat him as he is of my first-round draft pick quarterback this year, play him, and let the organization grow with him. Now, you're suggesting a guy in Sean Mannion who has no hype and he's not has any sort of budding reputation around the NFL, you're choosing him solely because you just watched the Rams in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and you're choosing him solely because he wears a Rams uniform. Right. Sean Mannion, I mean, a guy who was okay at Oregon State but not a whole lot in the NFL, I think he threw two passes last season. Um, he's not a very high-ceiling quarterback. I just don't understand why you would go all in on a guy like that. It seems very strange and obscure to me, and then treat him like your first-round draft pick? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what does that entail? Like letting him compete for a starting job, giving him carte blanche, full autonomy. It's just literally when I saw that, it made no sense to me. It's one thing to advocate for Joe Flacco or Nick Foles, but Sean Manning and Chad? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's it's a completely apropos topic for the donkey of the week. And, you know, it's one thing to say, look, if the Broncos want to have a better failsafe or a guy with a little bit of upside and some experience behind Case Keenum, completely forsake the idea of going after a quarterback in the draft this year to kind of hedge for 2020. Yeah, bring in a guy like Sean Mannion to back up Case Keenum. But where he lost me completely was this idea of trading him like the first round or carte blanche, so to speak, to use your verbiage. Here's the thing. I've seen Sean Mannion up close and personal. Once I saw him play my alma mater, the Utah Utes, uh, Oregon State, battled it out. He beat the Utes. And the Utes, Zach and I talked about this off air, but the Utes traditionally, year in and year out, have great defenses. And that year they did. And the Utes beat the living snot out of him. But he hung tough. And this was when he still had Brandon Cooks. And he beat the Utes at home in Salt Lake City. And I was impressed by him. Later that, little did I know, a couple months later, I'd be covering him up close at the 2015 Senior Bowl, and he was very lackluster. He's got size that you like, but he's pretty vanilla. I mean, he's not – I don't hate him, but to your point, Zach, it was it's just another, you know, going head over heels – 
for anybody and anything that's associated with Sean McVay and the LA Rams. And it's, it's just getting to a point where it's, it's becoming completely ridiculous. Uh, here's a better idea. Use your first round pick and take a quarterback and treat that guy like a first round quarterback. I, I just, yeah. to, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's bad enough to suggest the Broncos trade for Sean Manning of all people, but then to bring him in and groom like a first round draft pick. I, I, I seriously have not heard something so asinine in quite some time. Yeah. I agree with you. I cannot disagree. That's just, and here's the thing too, not to be the uh, flog the horse to death, so to speak, but you know, big Al, former player, two-time world champion with the Broncos back in the late nineties. He's a very knowledgeable analyst. He has his guys that though, that he kind of takes a shine to each and every off season. Some of them are in the draft. Some of them are soon to be free agents and he kind of digs in and doesn't let go and sometimes they're just a little bit unrealistic. And this is one of those in which I think his kind of bosses at the fan thought, oh, that's a hot take because he's just talking about how much he likes him on the air. You know, he does the drive every every evening with DMAC, Darren McKee, and they're the most dominant number one show in the market, by the way, the drive with Big Al and DMAC. And he talks, I've heard him talk about it now probably half a dozen times on the few times I've tuned in. And I think someone above him, Zach, you know, said, oh, that would be a cool hot take that we can throw out on social media, maybe drive some eyeballs, some ear holes to to our cause, so to speak. Uh, you know what, though, Chad, if it happens, I, for one, cannot wait for the inevitable Team Case versus Team Sean training camp tweets and, and those battles that that the fan, you know, yeah, came yeah. out with a few years ago. So um, I'm not, you know, like you said, to beat a dead horse. But when I saw that, I, I really brought it to you off air and I had to get it off my chest. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of Broncos Twitter also agrees with me. Yeah. And the fan has their share of complicity, if we're being honest, with the way Paxton Lynch flamed out, crashed and burned, and the reason why Trevor Simeon let's face it, was the starter here for two years because of the way they pitted them against each other. And Ugh. it kind of put pressure on the on the Broncos in a weird sense. Like, I don't think it governed necessarily their decision-making, but it did kind of put a little bit of pressure, a little bit of a – shined a little bit brighter light, so to speak, more scrutiny, and pitted one another – or pitted them against each other, Team Paxton, Team Trevor. And I think all of us – Paxton was the type of player, Zach, where – the Broncos just needed to say, look, you're our guy. We're moving forward with you. You're going to have your bumps and bruises, your trial and error. There are going to be pitfalls, but we're rolling because we drafted you in the first round. And I think, though, that they made that mistake. They went with Trevor, and that's part of the reason why Paxton flamed out. Paxton has his own share in the responsibility, but the fan, as I digress on this topic, they uh, you know, they can create their little sensations in the market. They're, they do have the ability to throw their weight around. There's no doubt. Got to get those radio listens, I guess. But hey, we have a phenomenal, a bunch of topics that we're going to dive into today. Yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, well, I should say Wednesday, Benjamin Albright, NFL analyst, NFL insider, appeared with Nick and Carl on Building the Broncos. And if any of you listening to this show, hopefully every one of you who listen to the Huddle Up podcast on a daily basis are also listening to Building the Broncos because they are a phenomenal show, a little bit different flavor than what Zach and I do, but it's it's phenomenal in, the, in its own right they had Benjamin Albright on the show on Wednesday and he was just dropping pearls dropping dimes that I mean releasing info that it was heretofore unknown to Broncos country and in the market maybe some of it he had touched on on you know when he's on Twitter because he's such an active Twitter analyst and personality but we, we're gonna I, I just had to react Zach we had to talk about and share a conversation here on some of these topics that he divulged Albright that I think 
our listeners would be interested in hearing your and I take on these particular subjects. And one he made pretty clear in his conversation with Nick and Carl. Albright said, basically, look, expect Case Keenum to stay for 2019. He's not going anywhere, which by default eliminates a few guys off the board, including Nick Foles, who he also said, no, he's not coming here. And Joe Flacco. He also pointed to, which I thought was interesting, the fact that, you know, for those pining for Nick Foles, and I've been at a point in over the last couple of years where I've kind of talked myself into getting excited. I could get excited for Nick Foles. But then he brought up and reminded me in that conversation with Nick and Carl that, look, we're talking about when Nick Foles went to St. Louis. He took that deal after Philly. and He went short term there. He lost his starting job to Case Keenum, who who then mm. came in and outplayed him. So both Zach and I, you've heard guys, you've heard us talk about how, you know, they're different players and their resume has different accomplishments on it. You know, obviously Foles has a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP and, and for that he's gonna he's gonna be forever remembered. But in terms of caliber, there are quarterbacks that are basically and essentially Zach, they're on the same level. Yeah, it to me, and I've said it on Twitter on the podcast multiple times, I tend to agree with Ben that it's a lateral move for the Broncos to swap out Case Keenum and bring in another thirty year old quarterback and pay him big money and give up draft capital if he's franchise tagged for someone like Nick Foles. I don't see it happening. Um, I do also believe that Case Keenum will be starting for the Broncos, at least opening the season as a starter. My prediction right now, because so much can change, is that he'll open the season, but midway through, whether an injury or ineffectiveness, a rookie will take over someone like Drew Locke. So I do also believe that he's not going anywhere. They're not going to find a trade partner, I believe, for Case Keenum with his salary and his his play last year. So he'll be on the roster. He'll be starting at least the, the beginning of the year. And the other point that I think we that, that Albright brought up and made that I think we sometimes lose sight of because of how bad things got last season is the fact that, you know, you can win with Case Keenum. I'll be the first one to say, and I don't think Albright was saying in any way, shape, or form that he's franchise guy or that he's going to take you to the promised land. All that he's saying is with the right coaching and in the right situation, you can win with Keenum, which is also what I think the Broncos were believing when they signed him. Obviously, two years, $36 million. They weren't exactly expecting him to to be the the second coming of Peyton Manning. But you saw in 2017, I mean, one-year wonders exist for a reason. They're outliers. The the conditions have to be certain. Hi, I'm Tyler Boss, one of the narrators on the Abide app, a premium ad-free biblical meditation experience. Join the millions of people who download the Abide app to reduce stress, improve sleep, and experience the peace of God every day. You can text the word PEACE to 22433 for a seven-day free trial of Abide. Just text PEACE to 22433, and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God. Way for for players to become those one-year wonders, and he had that in Minnesota, but the Broncos might be able to recreate that short-term in 2019 with a first-rounder sitting on the bench. He's also Keenum a great candidate to help groom and and uh, you know take a, a young guy under his wing, show him the way, and he's a competent starter. For all his limitations, you know, he butted up against his ceiling, obviously, big time as the starter in Denver this past season. But, Zach, for all of his limitations, he's at least a competent starter that you can trust. He's not going to take you to the promised land. He's not going to get you over the hump. But Keenum can win in the right situation. And I think we should, in fairness, not – Take that away from him. He has that in him at the very least. So if you bring in the right coaching, which I believe we both believe the Broncos have done with Fangio and Scangarello, 
there might be some opportunities to compete at a little bit higher level in 2019. But the key is you have to still address the future of the position, which is why, to me, you still got to get a quarterback in this year's draft while you're while you're still picking in the top 10. Oh, yeah. And, and the Broncos thought they were getting a guy in Keenum who was coming off a career season, but they thought that was it, it still was best to get to come for him. They didn't think that was an outlier. They thought they were just scraping the surface of his potential. It didn't work out last year, but I also agree with that. The Broncos can win with Keenum in the right situation. That's limiting turnovers, being efficient on offense, running the football, and letting him kind of pick up the scraps wherever they fall. With better coaching, the Broncos can be a wild card team next year with Case Keenum. That's also why I think he'll be on the roster. He showed it in Minnesota. I mean, you can squeeze a lot from that lemon with good coaching. Out of a good coaching situation, you saw what Keenum is, and that's a backup. But with a good coaching situation that the Broncos should hopefully have now, um, you definitely can get to at least back to the playoffs, if not to at least you know a prominent situation. Yeah. Another interesting thing that came up from that conversation while we're still talking quarterbacks and, and veteran guys is now this wasn't necessarily in new information. This was more Albright sharing his his take or his opinion. But he thinks the crown jewel of this court free agent quarterback class is none other than Ryan Tannehill. And when he first said it, I was kind of like, well, you know, okay, I'll hear him out type thing. But if you go back and list and, and look at Tannehill's stats, which obviously we know the the biggest knock on Tannehill at this point is the fact that he he's been unable to stay healthy the last couple seasons. But if you go back and look at his stats, now, I want to remind Broncos fans, okay, before Peyton Manning came to Denver, if you had a, your, if your quarterback, and this includes John Elway, this includes Jake Plummer, this includes Jay Cutler, all three of whom at, at played at high levels at certain points in their Broncos career, if you go back and look at that those eras predating Manning, to have a quarterback throw, a touch, throw touchdowns in a, in a full 16-game season in the mid to high 20s, you're talking about all-time players for the Denver Broncos. In fact, Jake Plummer tied John Elway for the most touchdown passes in a single season. I think it was something like 27 or 26, something like that, early in the 2000s. And then Cutler came in his Pro Bowl year in 2008, passed for 25 touchdowns. And that felt like a lot of touchdowns, and it is. It's a significant scoring asset, right? Let me run through a couple numbers here for you, a couple seasons for Tannehill, which um, there's a reason I'm bringing this up. 2012, his rookie season, you know, he, he appeared in 16 games. He only had 12 touchdowns. He threw 13 picks. So it's out of whack there, but he's, he's learning trial and error, pitfalls, et cetera, et cetera. Seven and nine record. 2013, though, he takes a massive leap forward, throws 24 touchdowns, just under 4,000 yards passing to 17 picks. 2014, he plays all 16 games again for the third consecutive season. 4,045 passing yards, 27 touchdowns. 12 picks, and then his last full season before the injury bug started biting him, 4,200 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, 12 picks. So, Zach, what I'm getting at here is, you know, this isn't a destination for him. He's not going to end up in Denver. If Case Keenum was a free agent and the Broncos had options there, maybe it's a scenario that could that could work or chemistry that could make some sense. But I think maybe we're underselling Tannehill just a little bit. I think in that sense, Albright's right. In that, you know, he might not be a guy that's going to get you over the hump. He's not a generational franchise caliber guy. There's a reason Miami's going to let him hit the free agent market. But he has produced at a higher level than even I really took into consideration. 
Yeah, you know, I, I really respect Ben's NFL opinion, I do, but I have to disagree on Tannehill. To me, he's no different than a Case Keenum, maybe a little more mobile. He's also psychologically shot from missing so many games, being cut from the team that paid him a big contract. I don't see what you can squeeze out of him. He'd be actually, to me, in my opinion, from what I've seen on tape, a downgrade to Case Keenum. Maybe if the situation was different and the Broncos had a younger quarterback on the roster like Chad Kelly, they can take a shot on a veteran like uh, Tannehill if they didn't have Keenum on the roster. There's so many what-ifs. But, you know, brass tacks, I don't see Tannehill as an upgrade on most quarterbacks, including Case Keenum. I do think he'll end up, though, in Cincinnati following Zach Taylor there because he coached in uh, Miami. Would make a lot of sense. And in fact, that's also where Albright connected the dots. And he said, if that were to take place, don't be surprised if Andy Dalton ends up in Washington, who suddenly has a quarterback need uh, with Jay Gruden, who used to be his offensive coordinator, in which that was the coach that helped uh, Andy Dalton get to that that level of respected. You know, he was winning. uh, He was getting to the playoffs. He was winning games. He was beating good teams. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him end up in Washington if indeed yours and Albright's inclination turns out to be true and he lands in Cincinnati. So just some interesting topics I thought made me kind of rethink a little bit my perspective on Tannehill. I'm not about to go back and watch tape right now on Tannehill, but (laughs) as a box, I just went to the box score and I thought, you know, I'm going to go look at some of these stats. And it surprised me how consistent he was in those final three years of his rookie deal, putting up the numbers that he did it, it it impressed me, and so I I'm always going to wonder what hap- what would have happened with Tannehill had he, the injury bug not struck. Right. But uh, but yeah, the the Dolphins are parting with him for a reason. And even if Case Keenum was a free agent, it wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense, especially the kind of money he's probably going to be able to command because of his resume. So long as he can prove that you know things are on the mend as it relates to his health. So we move on here, and I want to talk about some of the takeaways from Albright as it relates to the draft. One thing he talked about, obviously, he's the guy that first... Now, we all know Elway traveled to go see Drew Locke play in person, right? He, I think he traveled to the Missouri-Arkansas game in which Locke had a really good performance. It was yep. in the rain, and he played well with those small nine-inch hands of his. Well, <laughs> he, uh, it, was, it was Albright who broke first on Twitter, I believe it was, but he was the first guy to connect Denver to Locke in terms of there's an actual interest there. It's not just a GM and a scouting department doing their due diligence on what is expected to be one of the top quarterback uh, prospects in the 2019 draft. There's some smoke there. There, or I should say there's some fire at the bottom of that smoke. And so he talked a lot about where that that uh, info came from, what he sees in Locke, what it would take if the Broncos did draft him. And one thing he made clear, which I thought was a good topic of conversation, it kind of fits with what we talked about earlier with Keenum, is that Locke has a lot of upside compared him in a good way to the best traits of Jay Cutler. And he talked about the fact, though, that if you draft Drew Locke in the first round, you're the Denver Broncos, just like Patrick Mahomes, just like most quarterbacks in in today's day and age, you're going to want to sit him for a little bit, let him acclimate, let him get some pro coaching under his belt. But he would need to sit for a little while. So as that relates to the Broncos, my question to you, Zach, is... If the Broncos do indeed end up being able to draft Drew Locke, you got Case Keenum under contract as well for 2019. You're heading into 2019 season. What is the MO? What's the plan here? Because you can't go into the weeds like you did with Paxton Lynch and just kind of leave it up to we'll see how it works out. We'll see how the competition shakes out, etc. You got to have a plan. And if that's the case, Locke needs to sit for a while. At what point do you replace Case Keenum with Locke? Do you wait till Keenum's out? 
and you and Locke kind of succeeds him as the full-time starter in 2020, or is there a plan to get him there as a rookie in 2019? I don't I don't think there's a moment you can predict from that. It just kind of happens. He'll either be ineffective or he'll be hurt for a little bit. He'll come out for a series and Locke will come in and look good. And then you suddenly have that quarterback controversy. And then one thing leads to another that you have the rookie starting. But under no circumstance with a first-time head coach, a first-time coordinator, a first-time NFL quarterbacks coach, should you have a, an inexperienced and raw rookie like Drew Locke starting from day one. I wouldn't mind the Broncos drafting him. In fact, I encourage that. I just don't want them to throw him into the fire right away when you still have Case Keenum on the roster. You're still paying him $18 million and he's still capable and can be a bridge starter until Locke is ready. So under no circumstance to me should you throw him in there from day one. I would wait until midseason or ineffectiveness or just a bad stretch. This is going to be a honeymoon year for Fangio anyway. I mean, Elway's not expecting to win a title right away. He gets one honeymoon season. So if you have some transitional struggles there, some hiccups, you can weather it this year. But going into 2020, you have to have Locke starting and being comfortable in the offense. Yeah, I mean, I am of the opinion as it relates to young first-round quarterbacks that they need to play sooner than later. So I'm not saying they necessarily come in right away a la Peyton Manning and our grandfather the starting job and you know and if it works out organically like what happened with Russell Wilson where he beat out Matt Flynn as a th- rookie third round pick to be the starter day 1 you know that's fine and dandy but i do think that the the quarterback taken in the first round needs to play sooner than later kind of like what you saw with Josh Rosen last year kind of like what you saw with Baker Mayfield where you know the the stop gaps is the day 1 starter but really, at the first sign of any regression or the first sign that the offense isn't going, doing what it needs to be doing or a loss or two uh, stacks up, that you t- in other words, you're looking for the first opportunity to get your guy in there. And that's what I think the Broncos would need to do with Locke. I, I mean, there's no, I don't think, perfect formula. And we're obviously talking about hypotheticals here because Locke is currently obviously not a Denver Bronco. But I would expect or I would hope if the Broncos did draft him that he would find a way onto the field at some point in 2019 unless you have Case Keenum step in and out of nowhere the Broncos are, you know, going undefeated and they're freaking eight and one or something like that and they're and he's and, and Keenum's staying healthy, then yeah, you keep the rookie on ice and, until next season. But that's kind of how I would see it shaking out. Ideally at some point you just look for the first opportunity within, you know, within a realistic scope to get him on the field. Yeah, and one more reason for Keenum to be named the starter is to avoid a quarterback competition in training camp. Not only does that divide the team, it takes away reps with the ones from their starting QB. So no training camp competition. Let Keenan be the starter. Let him start out the year um, under center with no one breathing down his neck. And like you said, at the first sign of trouble or regression or losses or injury, whatever, then you give Locke a test run. I believe the Broncos were close to doing that with Chad Kelly before he got arrested. I mean, he was really making a push to supplant Keenan because Keenan was struggling. So yeah. if that same thing happens with Locke on, Locke on the roster, um, I can see the Broncos making the switch. And the only thing I would say is once you make that switch, it has to be no going back. No going back, yeah. No right. going back. I mean, you're locked in with luck or whoever your young quarterback is at that point because you, there's a lot of reasons, not the least of which is quarterback confidence and just the feeling that your franchise it, it's your time now and the franchise is buying into you, the fans are buying into you, let's go. Let's weather the trial and error storm. Let's go through the pitfalls, the ups and downs. And, and come out on the other side better for it. So here in just a minute, we are going to touch on a few other interesting nuggets that Albright touched on in that conversation on building the Broncos. We'll run through them kind of rapid style because we're running a little bit long, but we'll be right back. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, so let's run through these quickly. A, a few other takeaways from that phenomenal conversation with Benjamin Albright on building the Broncos. And again, you guys, if you haven't listened to that episode, as soon as you're done with this one, you got to go find it on the RSS feed or on YouTube or iTunes, wherever you're listening to this. Go find, I think it was episode 41 of Building the Broncos with Benjamin Albright. Phenomenal, phenomenal listen. But here are a couple other things. Let's just touch on and we'll get out of here for today. He talked about what the impact of the new coach is. Who's going to benefit most? You look at the veterans on the roster right now in Denver. you got new coaches coming in on both sides of the ball. Who, Which players stand to benefit the most? And obviously, he, he Albright touched a lot on Munchak being a yep. huge coup, right? Being a huge coup. He called him the hire of the offseason in the NFL coaching carousel. But he talked about, because of that, probably the offensive line, the young offensive linemen, so your Garrett Bowles, your Connor McGovern, your Sam Jones, any young O-lineman who is going to be leaned on by the team to have a role, you're going to see those guys take a massive leap forward. And then also, he expects, this was interesting, because I'm a little bit gun-shy now of this topic, but Albright said, expect Justin Simmons to be a borderline all-pro as a single Mm -hmm. high safety under Vic Fangio. Yeah, Fangio to me, I mean, Munchak is the no-brainer because he's so renowned and so decorated, and I expect two immediate pro bowlers under his tutelage, and that's Matt Paradis if he's resigned, and Ronald Leary if he's brought back. But Fangio, it's so tantalizing to see what he can do with Von Miller. I mean, if Von can get 14 and a half sacks with Vance Joseph, what is he going to do with Vic Fangio? So I look at that, and also one name with Donatel, I don't— it's hard for me to see Justin Simmons as, a, as an all-pro considering he hasn't been a pro bowler yet, but I think Isaac Yadam— will take the next step this year as an outside cornerback. Mm. If they sign Bryce Callahan in free agency, that's a slot guy. You have Chris Harris Jr., a slot guy. You need an outside guy. Roby's a free agent. Um, I believe Yadam will take that next step with Donatel. So um, I agree with Ben in his premise that Donatel, Fangio, and also uh, Munchak will bring a lot to this team, and you'll see immediate dividends as soon as they can get their hands on them. Speaking of Matt Paradis, the big nugget, the big breaking news, basically, that came out of that conversation that, that Ben dropped there was that the Broncos have offered Matt Paradis a contract extension. Unfortunately, it was a low ball offer, which apparently <sighs> insulted Matt Paradis. And, you know, there's signs I've been told by other people that, you know, it looks like the Broncos, you know, that, that could be changing. That was kind of just to test the waters and that that was not their final stance and they might be willing to come up. And it's not a completely botched scenario, but Paradis was insulted by an initial offer, and the idea now is that he wants to move on and go find, and he's going to get paid. There's going to be money out there for, for Matt Paradis because he proved to be an Iron Man. He had one ill turn of luck this year where he missed half the season, but he's going to be a very highly coveted player on the open market. He's going to be able to find himself for center money. Now, centers, as it relates to offensive linemen, are kind of the last guys to get paid for whatever reason, um, but there's going to be money out there for him. I was at one point, I, you've heard me on this podcast, everyone talk about how important I think it would be for the Broncos to re-sign Matt Paradis as a homegrown foundational guy, getting his just reward for the dues he's paid up to this point. But now I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen, Zach. 
Yeah, I don't like this at all, but I'm going to assume it's negotiating 101. I mean, he's going to say something, and the Broncos are going to counter, and they might be at a stalemate now, but there is time between now and free agency. So I hope something transpires because I don't want to lose Matt Paradis. Like you said, a homegrown guy, has played through his injuries. He's going to turn 30, but that's relatively young for an offensive lineman. So I don't worry about that too much. He's one of the best centers when he's healthy. To me, it's a no-brainer. Bring him back, lock him up, show some goodwill like you've done in the past. It sends a good message to the locker room that if you play well, you'll be taken care of. So to me, if I was Elway, it'd be a no-brainer. Priority number one among the Broncos free agents is locking down Matt Paradis. Hopefully this discord, if there is, um, doesn't extend through the open open signing period. Yeah, one of the mitigating factors, and then we'll move on here, is that the Broncos feel like they have two really good options that are cheap right now in, in Connor McGovern. And if they didn't want to go the Connor McGovern route, they kind of let Munchak feel it out keep McGovern at right guard, Sam Jones. So that's part of the issue here is the Broncos feel like they already have on the roster two really good candidates that are going to really take off under Munchak who could play for a fraction of the cost that it's going to take to bring Paradis back. So it's a situation to monitor. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. And, you know, it'll pick up momentum and coalesce once we get a little bit closer to March. But a couple other things and we're out of here. He talked about the idea of keeping an eye on Emmanuel Sanders, Albright did that he might be a, a chip to be used in a trade. He spe- specifically pointed to the San Francisco 49ers who are expected to be in big time on Antonio Brown, on those sweepstakes. But if they fall short of landing Antonio Brown, that Emmanuel Sanders would be the next option for them in terms of upgrading and providing Jimmy Garoppolo with a true veteran playmaker and a guy, Emmanuel Sanders, who could be part of a package hypothetically to move up from pick 10 to pick number two in the NFL draft to get that quarterback. I'm not so sure about this one. I have no doubt that John Lynch would ask for a ransom of draft picks and players to move from 10 to 2, but they have Marquise Goodwin on the roster. He's a speedster. He's a fraction of the cost as Emmanuel Sanders, and Sanders is coming off a devastating injury. I'd be surprised if he's ready for week one, honestly. I mean, I I saw the video on Twitter where he shed the walking boot, but he's still limping. It's already February. Um, He's on the wrong side of 30 now, so if they want to move up, I could see Sanders being involved in a package, but... Um, I just don't see that's the capital that the Niners would be seeking in such a big trade. Yeah, I mean the biggest the biggest thing to 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 mitigate that being an option is that that um, Achilles injury, right? If yeah. if we were talking about a completely healthy Emmanuel Sanders heading into the 2019 offseason, man, you got a nice bargaining chip for any trade that you might want to explore. So there were there's a lot of different dominoes that would have to fall, but it's a situation to keep an eye on. And then last thing, and we're out of here is Albright talked about that Derek Wolf, the Broncos want to keep Derek Wolf around. They want to offer him an extension that's going to actually kind of take a haircut, to use his verbiage, and it's a phrase we all know Derek Wolf also likes to throw out there quite regularly. But they want they want to minimize his cap hit and to do so extending him out a couple of years. But the point being is not only lowering the cap hit, but ensuring that Derek Wolf can finish his career in Denver and retire as a Bronco. Uh, they better front load that contract then because one bad injury and he's done. So I, I like Derek Wolf as a player, but I I wouldn't shed any tears if he was gone either, if he was cut. I know he's a fan favorite, but he's very expensive. He's older, uh, he's injury prone, and there's better, or not better, but younger players on the roster in Demarcus Walker, Shelby Harris, um, you know, Adam Gotsis. Yeah, so you have those players on the roster. If they want to extend him, I wouldn't do a five-year deal, let's say, maybe two years just to lower that cap hit, but you know, hopefully he can stay on the field because when he's on the field, he's good. The problem is he's really there. Yeah. 
So that'll do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. You guys, we're going to be back tomorrow on Friday to go through a VIP edition of the Mile High Mailbag. We'll find out what's on your mind, what's burning in your heart, and as your football priest, we'll go through and offer you the answers that you need to get through the weekend. But in the meantime, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing, you guys. Have a good rest of your day. Zach and I will see you again on Friday. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.